0: And
1: hound podcast hello and welcome to the horse and hound podcast currently supported by NAF, i'm pippa room magazine editor here at horse and hound how is everybody doing i have to say this week has been a bit of a negative one so far we had the news of badminton's cancellation and there's a couple of other concerning things rocketing around in the horse world at the moment some of which we'll be talking about later on in our news segment but hopefully, everybody is coping okay, and the fact we had a bit of the emergence of spring over the weekend raised everybody's spirits. And also, on a positive note, my guest this week is the Olympic medalist Nicola Wilson, who tells us about her top horse, Bulana, including their brilliant individual bronze at the 2017 European Championships.
2: It was yeah, a phenomenal experience to stand there on the podium with such fantastic riders as uh, Ingrid and Michael Young was, yeah, really have to keep pinching yourself that it, that it happened.
1: I'll also be talking to our news team about badminton, competition restarting, the equine herpes outbreak in Europe, and equine obesity. Finally, Alan Davies, groomed to Carl Hester and Charlotte Dujardin, shares some inside info on the eating habits of his famous charges and how you can tempt your horse to eat up.
3: A difficult one really, if your horse is going to get stressed or find eating difficult, find out what their taste is. Every horse is different.
1: So that's enough from me, pull on your overreach boots and let's kick on. I'm delighted to introduce my guest this week, the event rider, Nicola Wilson. Nicola is the winner of seven championship medals, including Olympic team silver at London, 2012, and frequently features in the top tens at badminton and Burley. Nicola, hello, and
2: welcome to the podcast. Hello. Well, thank you very much for having me.
1: Oh, it's great to have you on. And we were talking yesterday, Nicola, off the podcast about your current top ride, Bulana. She's known as Berry and owned by James and Joe Lambert. And she is featuring as our horse in the spotlight in Horse and Hound this week. And we were chatting about how you came to ride her and her brilliant character because she's so feisty and always trying for you. And you first started riding her in 2014 and, and came second in your first international competition together, the, the CIC Two Star, as it was then at Poe in the autumn. Tell us a little bit about your first impressions of her at that time and, and sort of what you remember from riding her in, in the first competitions together
2: um, Well she was always um, yeah she's always been such a, a trier and very, very sort of positive and and always ready to go, go, go. Um, that was her sort of mission above everything. She wanted to give her all, try so hard, and was just permanently ready to react and to go. And um, as you say, as you quite rightly said, we did our first international event at Po. Um, and I do remember. Um, She did a lovely test, and uh, I do remember on the cross country that uh, yeah, I was sort of verging on being slightly out of control, Um, and I thought, "Mm, yes, we've got (laughs) we've got quite a bit of work to do on our partnership here, um, so that we're both on the same page. But you know, she. She struck me from the beginning that she was a horse with a lovely, lovely attitude, um, always wanted to please and and give her all and try for you. Um, And, um, you know, she she was very, very brave and 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 honest on a line. And uh, yeah, she was a lovely horse to work with. And the following
1: year, when you went to your first long format competition together, that was at Bramham, and I think yes. that was one that didn't quite work out the way you hoped, wasn't it? No.
0: <laughs> what no, happened?
2: Ag- well, again, she did. She did a super test. That was her first time at that level, and um, she did a lovely dressage test. Was really pleased with that. Um, and then um, a, a new partnership, trying to find what works, what doesn't work, what's you know, what's the best the best way of getting the best out of both of us. Um, and I think at Bramham, with the start being up on the top the hill and it was quite a whizzy warm-up area Um, and then the first three fences were downhill and very gallopy Um, and I remember setting off over the first fence lovely and then as soon as her feet landed um, after the first fence she just set off and I just thought oh my goodness we are getting faster and faster and faster Um, and I thought right okay the first three fences were just straightforward fences um, and that was was okay but I was saying to myself, by the time I, you know, got to the first combination, if I hadn't got um, into a proper rhythm, a secure rhythm, um, and my if my brakes weren't working, then I was just going to go nowhere near um, fence four, which was a double of corners, um, and I, I. Tried like fury to to um, get back on track, but uh, but no, it, I was um, I was losing that battle, and I went whistling past the fence judge, saying I'm retiring, and then I <laughs> circled round fence four a further four times, and every time I went past the four fence judge, I was saying I'm still retiring, <laughs> um, and um, you know it was clear then that. Um, you know, um, we needed to uh, sort of ad- address this bitting problem, uh, uh, well break problem, not a bitting problem. Um, I still do th- say and think that it is in in her mind and you know that she is just wanting to please and just um, yeah, just needing to sort out a rhythm and a system that that works um, to keep her um under control and in a rhythm and I suppose the Sunday after the cross country on the Saturday was the first day of that um system and finding and finding out how it was going to work for us it's an unusual thing to happen to an event at that level for someone really
1: to be run away with in that way um and uh, although it's funny the way you describe it I imagine it was quite terrifying how did you sort of build from there and come back from it and, and sort of build the partnership
2: well, I didn't really know, um, you know, where to go from from here. And um, I certainly wasn't, it, it wasn't terrifying at all because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't attempting the fence and um, I knew I was just circling around until it was time to, until she, you know, said, okay, I'll pull up, but, uh, and there's plenty of space at Bramham. It's just fantastically um, open and an amazing venue. Um, after that, I, you know, Chris, I went to Chris Bartle, who has sort of helped me for a number of years, and you know, he was was there to offer help and support and advice, and um, and he said, look, let's just see whether um, the organisers will let us, you know, on the Sunday go over and use the old steeplechase field um, back in the day when we had steeplechase um, and um, play around in there and just sort of allow her to canter on, and then building some surprise transitions he had a few techniques that may well uh, may well help Um, and I think that really was a turning point um, in our cross country. Mm, And having sort of
1: done that work with her you then won Buccalo in the autumn which was a a great win you know that Dutch three-day event always has a massive field so that must have felt like quite an achievement with a horse that that you'd had a problem with earlier in the year what are your memories of of that win at Buccalo?
2: Well, it was a, yeah a fa- absolutely fantastic. Again, she did a a, a nice test, and um, also part of the sort of technique for her would be to warm her up in um, earlier on in the day. So I've done some done my my initial warm up and and got her muscles and, and and everything working, and then take her back to the stables to let her relax and to um, to switch off, um, and then sort of walk her around the stables in hand and literally go over to the start with my feet out of the stirrups from the stables to the start box and go and that was the first time actually that we'd tried that technique Um, so i sort of had a few little butterflies in my in my stomach thinking oh gosh i hope this works i've you know going straight to to a big a big cross-country course um, you know literally just walking from the stables but it worked really well for her because um, she went over and she was very relaxed um, and it wasn't until they sort of started to count us down 10 nine eight that actually that front leg started to pour away and I thought oh my god here comes her adrenaline and at that we went and um, I had a, a lovely ride and that system um, seems to work really well for her and she gave me a super super ride cross-country um, And and obviously, again, in the show jumping to to win the competition, which was exhilarating, but also it was fantastic to think that actually we'd maybe found a technique or the key to to trying to get the best out of her um, because she certainly wants to give it. Mm,
1: That's brilliant. And then through 2016, you sort of did some more competition things well, kept sort of building up through that sort of three-star as it was level then. And then in 2017, that was a really mega year for the pair of you. You achieved second place in the five-star at Le Moulin, uh, the five-star as it is now, four-star then. How did that week pan out for you to, to get that really great placing at the top level?
2: well she was feeling you know fan- fantastic on the build up that winter before um lamullen and the build up to Lemoulin. she just felt in a really really good place in her mind um she was getting stronger in her body um, as well and the training had gone really well she felt very solid and secure in her in in her work um, and the preparation runs had gone really well so Yes, it was her first five star, but I felt confident that there was a really good performance in there. And um, true to form, she went into the test and she really showed off and and tried her her level best and uh, uh, to to do things, do things correctly. And the whole week really went like that. Um, Yeah, she was a true professional from from start to finish. And uh, it was a, a great introduction to five star for her.
1: Mm, That's brilliant. And you were then selected for the European Championships, which were in Stragum in Poland that autumn. What do you remember about sort of that selection and the build up to the event through that summer?
2: Well, I'd sort of hoped that we'd done enough to, you know, get get selection. I didn't know whether it would be an individual place or or team place, but I, I I'd sort of kept my fingers crossed and hoped that, uh, you know, the Lemoulin uh, result and and her other results during that year had done a, a, enough to secure a place, and uh, which was fantastic. And then with opposition burrs, I'd, you know. I'd, I'd been the pathfinder for a number of, a number of years as you as you said earlier um and then when um, we had our last um team training before squad training before going um dickie and chris said um you know told us what the order was going to be and i was going to go last and i was like oh gosh i didn't sort of uh bank on that that's amazing fantastic but you know i needed to get my head around that so i remember going for a run that evening when whilst we were on squad training and uh, was was pounding the tarmac and um, and um, by the time I'd got back from that run, I'd got my head firmly around it, and I was embracing and thinking, "God, what an honour! This is amazing! This is what I've always dreamt of." Um, and um, she continued to feel really good in, in herself, and uh, went to, to Strugon, and, and once again she uh, she tried her heart heart out for me, and um, to sort of come away with an individual medal and be part of the the team that won uh, team gold was was just phenomenal and the whole as as always the you know the the team spirit was uh was just phenomenal
1: mm, it was a bit of a dream week i think for most of the british squad and as you say you took the individual bronze behind ingrid klimka and michael young and and, and you were already a very experienced team member and you would contributed to a lot of team medals but what did it mean to I guess with Opposition Buzz, you were really known as a solid team member, but you probably never thought about individual honours. And how did it feel to just to be the person leading that team and, and, and to get that individual medal and stand on that podium with Ingrid and Michael?
2: Oh, it was lovely. I've certainly got the uh, the photo um, up in the stables. It's uh, yeah, it was very very exciting, and you know I was so so lucky that Mr. Bumble got me to the top level with a few other horses as well, and then Opposition Buzz bridged that gap from um, being at the fantastic badminton's and burleys to getting onto a a British team, which had been a childhood dream. Um, And then I suppose Bulana had then taken it that next step further for individual um, medal as as well as a team medal. And yeah, I'm just so grateful to um, everybody around me that's Helped make that possible, and um, and of course the lovely horses and Brulana to um, yeah to put in her best performance and uh, and achieve that was 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 fantastic, and to stand there um, on the podium with with such fantastic riders as uh, Ingrid and and uh, Michael Young was yeah really have to keep pinching yourself that it that it happened, and uh, it was yeah. A f- Phenomenal experience and truly, truly hope that uh, we can uh, go one step further at some point.
1: Well, that was such a fantastic week for the pair of you. And since then, Bilana has had another win at four star level and she got another really solid five star result under her belt last year at Poe with 11th. Plus, of course, we'll all look forward to seeing her out and about once eventing restarts this year. Nicola, before we finish, just tell us a little bit more about your yard and your sort of setup in general.
2: Where are you based? We are based in North Yorkshire, so just um, outside North Allerton. We recently moved, I always had the horses with my parents and the last five years we moved the horses to uh, where Alastair, my husband and I live. Uh, We have sort of um, facilities here and it's really lovely to have the horses horses on site. How many horses do you have in the yard? We have um, about 10 horses to compete this year, uh, ranging from five year olds that are just, just getting going um, up to um, Bulana, who is leading, leading the field. And then we have um, Dublin, um, Arano M, and hopefully Haw- Hawkeye, who will be doing um, the four stars this year.
1: And do you uh, mention there JL Dublin? He was 10th in the four star long at Burnham Market last year, wasn't he?
2: Yes. He's um, a lovely, lovely horse that um, his owners, Jamie and Joe Lambert and Deirdre Johnson bought as a four-year-old, um, so he's been with me for you know a long time now, and he's always been a horse that sort of oozed a lot of uh, quality and and um, and promise, um, but you just don't know until you know you work through the levels, um, you know how, how how far they're going to go, but you know he just seems to keep on um, improving, and uh, he really is an exciting exciting horse for the future, um, and yes, he went uh, really well at, at Burnham Market and our plans um, and hopes and dreams will be uh, to take him to Bramham in the spring. Oh, Bramham, such a, such a special event for
1: you, for you, I know, being a local one up in Yorkshire and with, with, uh, so near to where you're based.
2: It is. I I, we absolutely love Bramham, as as you say. It's very close, Um, and I think the whole the whole setting there. You know, it just makes for a fantastic competition, and the and the the terrain, and it's um, such a lovely galloping course. And and I always think that the the courses there are. You know, there's plenty to jump, and I think if you can come out of that competition with a horse that's gone really well, then you have every uh, reason to be excited about their future.
1: Mm. And tell me a little more about Arano
2: M, I'm not so familiar with him. Um, He's a horse that's um, owned by uh, Lady Mills Coates, who was actually my first owner um, a a long, long time ago. So uh, he's owned by Lady Mills Coates and Rosemary Search, who, as you well know, um, owned and bred Opposition Buzz. Um, So he's um, a relatively inexperienced horse. Um, who's had a few silly little injuries along the way, which is why you probably haven't heard so much of him. But he's a, he's a little horse in, um, in stature, but um, every day is, is a party. Every day is exciting and fun, and you just sort of see his head over the door, and he's like, oh, brilliant, what are we doing today? And he's just, um, yeah, life's for living. Um, and uh, he's, a, he's a really uh, fun-loving horse and, and seems to love the sport of eventing.
1: Oh, that's brilliant. And it's so nice to have that connection to Rosemary Search, as you say, who uh, was was such a big part of your team with Opposition Buzz for so long. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. That's brilliant. Well, Nicola, we are going to get you back on at some point to talk about Opposition Buzz. I'm not going to uh, to give away all our gems at once. We're going to save that one for another day. And I know we'll both look forward to that chat because I love to talk about Opposition Buzz. But thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be keeping an eye on Barry and those other horses uh, through this year. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. So I'm joined today by all three members of our news team. First of all, hello to our news
4: editor, Eleanor Jones. How are you, Eleanor? Morning. Yeah, it's all good. Spring is just about here. Mud's drying. I even washed my grey horse's tail at the weekend and I've had mm, six years and that might be a third time I've washed her tail. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Eleanor, my mum and I have a grey horse and we wash his tail about three times a week in the summer, not three times in six years. I think you're slacking.
4: No, I I do it three times a week too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I want photos next to like daily newspapers to prove it's a new clean tail. (laughs) We also have with us
0: Lucy Elder, who is our senior news writer. How are you Lucy? I'm good, thank you pippa i um it's spring here as well, and I could just about have set my watch I think by the the arrival of the spring grass in our fields this week i had um I'd thrown some hay out as I do sort of every morning for for my mare, and I swear she got halfway through eating it and then looked to her right and thought, "Oh, the grass is growing and she left it. She hasn't been back, so mm-hmm. um so she's very happy. Oh, that's nice to to hear.
1: And we finally have with us as well, Becky Murray, who is our news writer. How are things with
5: you, Becky? Good. Um, I'm bringing my girl Chloe back into work after her winter holiday. So I have a lesson book next week, which I'm quite excited about. What have you been up to, Pippa?
1: Ah, uh, well, I have to say things are still quite dull here. You would have noticed I've stopped telling anyone what I've been up to on the podcast because I'm not riding at the moment because of the lockdown restrictions. So uh, basically, I run, I walk, I work, and I eat, and I feel like just saying that repeatedly <laughs> isn't very interesting for people <laughs> but that that is pretty much the uh, the situation. And uh, I have to say that yesterday was a bit of a, a bit of a shocker day for all of us with various bad news stories coming in. I was in a meeting when the badminton press release landed about the cancellation. And I sort of, I saw that there was an email from badminton pop up in my inbox. And then there were like four more emails that followed it within seconds and a couple of WhatsApps. And I was like, something is happening here. I, I need to get out of this meeting right now and find out what it is. And it just felt a bit like deja vu to the first days of lockdown last year, you know, and all the events were falling right, left and center and not so much badminton last year, because I kind of felt it was inevitable by the time that badminton went down, but the earlier events, I just had a proper, proper deja vu on uh, on on that yesterday did anybody else have that yeah <laughs> yeah me too yeah really sad and i think we were all just so sure that Babington was going to run this year after their early announcement about their sort of willingness to go behind closed doors as necessary but lucy you covered this story for us in this week's magazine can you just sort of remind us of the official reasons why why the decision was made
0: absolutely and i was the same as you pippa i I was so surprised and I didn't even twig when I first saw the announcement what I was reading, if that makes sense. but And so my heart really, really does go out to, I mean, everyone that's going to miss it, but particularly the organising team and the competitors and owners and all of those who are gearing up for it. And even two weeks ago, we were speaking to them and it still sounded like everything was, was going ahead. So we've heard the official line from them is that even despite the encouraging government announcements and the rollout of vaccine, the situation still remains fragile and unpredictable and following consultation between Badminton, Public Health England and South Gloucestershire Council it was deemed that due to the scale and the location of the horse trials it's not possible to secure the surrounding area in the proximity of the event site to to run it safely so it's desperately sad news but what can we do hey? (laughs) Mm, as you say,
1: like terrible news for everybody, and and particularly for for Jane Tuckwell, the badminton director, and and all of her team, who I know will have been working so hard, sort of for nearly two years since the last mm-hmm. event, and 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 not getting to run one yet. And um, and I know that there has been some talk on social media and so on about riders not being able to get the runs they would need in advance. But I don't think that was a factor in cancelling. You know, British Eventing have been working to bring us some elite events in March that I think will still go ahead, but only for those riders who are building up to five stars or to the Olympics. And in the regular calendar after sport restarts, we have Western Park with its strong advanced classes. We have Burnham Market running at four star short. So I do think there would have been enough events for riders to get the runs they needed ahead of badminton. What was the reaction
0: from the riders you spoke to Lucy? So the overwhelming reaction seemed to be, you know, sort of sadness and understanding really um, that both from people, posts are seeing on social media and the riders I spoke to directly yesterday. So I spoke to Imogen Murray, who of course has got her wonderful five-star specialist, Ivor Gooden, who, and we all know he adores badminton. And so she was, they were really gearing up for it. And while she's really disappointed, she's saying that, you know, she understands and if we're rather, be safe now, we've to put all this work into getting, getting everything back up and running safely. It'd be a shame if, if, you know, there was any reason why there were setbacks and that, if that makes sense. So she's having a look at what her options are, but she's also keeping a close eye on the developing EHV1 situation, which we've also covered this week. and I think my Becky is going to be speaking about later in the podcast, but it's, so yeah, it was understanding, but still sad. And the same with Susie Berry, who is on one of the, She's on one of the lists for, for the Irish Tokyo Potential Squad and this would have been her first five star. And again, while it wasn't an essential, you know, MER run for her, it's she's understandably really disappointed, especially for, for not only herself, but for the horse's owners and the whole team. So, but again, it comes back to people aren't cross at badminton. They're just disappointed at, at the situation, really, which is understandable. I think we all are. Mm, Absolutely.
1: And as you say, it'll be a case of riders sort of rerouting now and and where they want to go is going to be dependent on on who they are and what their goals are. Um, You know, you might be a first-timer who's just desperate to go to badminton and you'd rather sort of keep your horse on ice for another year and and run quietly this year. I don't know whether there might be an increase in people trying to head to to the US for Kentucky Five Star. Obviously, there are restrictions in place on travel and there is a very high cost, uh, sort of uh, well into thousands, certainly for that Kentucky trip. It's not a cheap trip to make, I know. And, and I wonder whether some people will sort of go down a four-star long route here at home or, or look to go to Le Moulin if, um, if, if things allow that by sort of June time. Lucy, I know that you spoke to the British performance manager Dickie
0: Wagard as well. What did he say? I mean, likewise, he was saying he's... It- hugely disappointing and he's heartbroken for for the team at Badminton and competitors and owners and all of those teams as well. Um, But again, he, he couldn't say a huge amount of specifics because obviously the situation is changing quite a lot and but he said that he knows that people will be looking at their other options and he'd hope that people are being sort of flexible and having other contingency plans for their seasons in in place given the unpredictability of the world we we live in and obviously i spoke to him before we were hearing more about the ehv1 situation coming out which developed so quickly yesterday but um there are he did say, you know there are challenges over traveling with Brexit, but there's still a number of four stars in the calendar um both both in britain and and in Europe, actually, so I think it is as you said, pepper, it's going to be very interesting to see what people's second plans are or their other plans that they had in place. I spoke to Kentucky yesterday, just to double check their their closing dates and entries, which we know is 23rd of March, they had that confirmed. So it might be interesting to see if people go there or, I mean, or or Bramham or Lemoulin or or what those those plans are, but um, I think possibly people are having those conversations as we speak. Mm, Absolutely. I'm sure they are. And of course, it's not
1: the first time we've actually lost badminton in an Olympic year. Bizarrely, it's happened twice in the past three Olympic cycles because badminton was cancelled in 2012 because of wet weather. And I still remember where I was when I heard about that one too. But um, it is the first time we've ever lost badminton two years in a row. And it's such a such a sadness. Um, to, to have that happen. Thank you Lucy for, uh, for, for helping me explain what's what's going on there and, uh, and what we'll be looking out for next with those top horses. Eleanor, we're gonna go on a more upbeat note, positive thinking. It does look like things are going to be restarting in terms of facility hiring competitions quite soon in the horse world.
4: Yeah, hurrah. Um, uh, by the time this podcast comes out, it will only be three and a half weeks until people can actually start um, going out and doing stuff again, which is absolutely brilliant. Uh, British Horse Society confirmed that from the 29th of March, uh, arena hire and travelling to lessons and competition should all be allowed. Um, I spoke to BE Chief Executive Jude Matthews and, and they're hoping, because their plan had been to start hopefully on the 26th of March, so that's not that much later. and, and they're they're expecting a fairly normal season. Um, Obviously usually you can lose some events of early in March because of ground, although of course um, the ground at the moment is looking perfect where I am. Um, And they're saying that they're gonna put a lot in place to make sure that there's enough competition for everyone. hopefully they're looking at running under the same rules that we restarted last year but should hopefully be a fairly normal eventing season um, dressage and show jumping look like they're going to get going at the end of march too so yeah all that side of things is looking good
1: that's great news and that's sort of the english restrictions that we're talking about there things are slightly different in scotland and wales aren't they
4: Um, Yeah, so in Wales the lockdown restrictions do still apply, they're not going to be reviewed till the 12th of March Um, and then in Scotland, with their different plan for coming out of lockdown, it looks like competition might be able to run from 26th of April. Okay, and what about riding schools? Is there any respite for them? yeah that, i mean that's a shame the i know we as we've spoken in previous podcasts there had been a lot of pushing with the government to hopefully allow them to restart when the schools go back on the 8th of march but that isn't going to happen it's going to be the 29th of march although On that date they can do group lessons, not just one-to-ones and as long as they stick with the rule of six. So yeah, a few few more weeks to go for the riding schools um, and just the the Association of British Riding Schools has started up a fundraiser with the hopes of just getting the ones that are really struggling through to that date when they can open again.
1: Those last last couple of weeks of, of no income. Well, thank you, Eleanor. There is some positive news there on competitions and uh, hopefully things will start to look up on that front. But last week we were talking about equine coronavirus and why that wasn't a cause for concern. We now do have a cause for concern around a different virus in horses, equine herpes. Becky, I think you are uh, the woman who's on top of this for us at the moment. Can you tell us how this outbreak sort of started?
5: Well, a show jumping tour had been running in Valencia, in Spain, uh, which began at the start of February. Now, some horses had left the venue on the 14th of February and on returning to their home countries, they became ill and then tested positive for EHV1. Now, equine herpes does come in different strains and the FEI has confirmed this is the neurological strain that we're talking about. And um, 150 horses remain in Valencia and very sadly four died at the weekend while 84 others are showing signs.
1: Gosh and this is a really fast developing story and there was sort of more even after we went to press with the magazine last night. I was just flicking through my emails on the sofa and there was an email from
5: the FBI about competition shutting down. What's happening across Europe? Well, the FEI is calling this the most serious outbreak in Europe for decades and late last night the FEI announced that international competition was cancelled in 10 European mainland countries. This cancellation is across all disciplines and is until 28th of March at the moment. Now, there is some show jumping tours currently in progress on the Iberian Peninsula, Italy and Belgium. So these tours will be allowed to continue as individual bubbles on the condition no new horses enter those venues. And horses will only be permitted to leave once they've had an official health certificate from the local vet authorities. Gosh, it sounds like
1: such a serious situation. What is the advice for horse owners in the UK around this? Is there anything we should be
5: looking out for or doing? Well, British Equestrian yesterday confirmed to me that no horses who had been in Valencia have returned to Britain and there have been no cases of EHV here that are related to this Valencia outbreak. I did speak to the British Equine Veterinary Association, who has said providing the competitors act responsibly, the risk to other horses in the UK should be very small. The disease is very contagious and it spreads over short distances of a couple of metres, unlike flu which can spread over great distances. I think horse owners need to be vigilant and Beva has said this really serves as a reminder about the importance of vaccination and following good biosecurity. Okay, so uh, the
1: advice is is definitely don't panic, but it is a, a concerning situation for sure. Eleanor, finally, I'm coming back to you again. We're going to talk about obesity in horses. It's a topic we write about frequently. It's come up again this week. What's been happening?
4: Yeah, so it's something we have reported on a lot because there are uh, many leading vets who believe that equine obesity is one of the biggest welfare issues facing uh, horses in this country. And one thing we have mentioned before is how a lot of this could be down to perception. So people are so used to seeing... Uh, fatter horses and ponies that they sort of believe that's the norm, and you hear, you know, oh, he's a native and he's supposed to look like that, and and actually, no, they're not. Um, we've spoken to a couple of owners of ponies who have, have been affected by laminitis. Um, one of them is uh, a girl who. Her, her pony got laminitis and she was doing her absolute best to control it, with sort of strip grazing and, you know, loads of different things. She said the yard owner was fantastic, but she said it can be really hard when you hear comments maybe from other owners who, when you've battled and battled and finally got the pony down to a good lean weight and then people start going, mm, maybe you've gone a bit too far and is she too thin? And that can be, you know, she said that can hurt so much when all you're trying to do is, is do right by your pony and and then people are questioning whether you're looking after it properly.
1: Mm, I read in your story there's a bit of a sort of killing with kindness theme here where, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk in people around emotional eating and sort of the fact that uh, we maybe grew up being being treated with food when we behave well and people thinking they're being kind to their horses in in feeding them, but that's not always the case. And as you say, there's an awful lot of perception at play in terms of what people view as a healthy weight, isn't there?
4: Yeah. And, and another thing that was mentioned, the other owner I spoke to um, had had Dartmoors, who she showed and she again thought she was taking a lot of the right precautions to control their weight but then they came down with laminitis um, from what she thinks is a batch of different hay but she she thinks her and her vet thinks that that might they might have been borderline anyway and that just tipped them over the edge and she's saying you know how many ponies in showing but but also general ponies are living on what she called a knife edge so on the brink of laminitis and it can take one thing to tip them over and you know she said I've, I've never seen anything as horrific as her pony with laminitis and she never wants to see it again. Mm.
1: Well that is a story that we'll be keeping an eye on where we're always as I say coming back to obesity in horses and, and looking at the topic in, in different ways as things develop and it's something that all horse owners need to have on their radar. Thank you very much Eleanor and thank you to Becky and Lucy for joining us today too. Horse and Ham podcast is currently supported by NAF. Keep your horse healthy and hydrated with NAF electro salts. Electro salts enhance recovery and encourage drinking whilst replacing the four main salts lost through sweating. They can be given easily in feed or dissolved in water. So now let's hand over to Supergroom Alan Davies for some of his expert advice
3: in this episode we're going to try and cover the topic of fussy eaters it's a, a difficult one really every horse is different you have to cater for each horse's needs i've been very lucky over the years i mean allegro was a, a fantastic doer so i never really had to worry about him eating i just have to i was always told off for giving him too much food that one because we were always watching his weight and watching his waistline over the years we've had a couple of horses that tend to go off their feed when they're away. I've not had one at home but Nip Tuck was one in particular um, because he was a very sensitive horse so changing his routine um, used to slightly upset him. So I used to have to take many different types of feeds with me away and you have to judge each horse and find out what their taste is. He tended to like feed with more molasses in when he went away that would help get him to eat when he was away i would change him onto something that had a little bit more molasses he was a hot horse so we didn't like to give him too much feed at home that had molasses in but when he went away then i could add in um, some feed that had molasses and that tended to get his taste buds going um, whereas freestyle uh, mountain john freestyle was charlotte's um horse she's doing Grand Prix on at the moment. She is such a busybody and a nosy uh, mare. She always wants to know what's going on everywhere and what everyone else is doing. So sometimes she forgets to eat and she's so busy wondering what's going on and she gets so excited going away to show she loves it. But she tends to like a drier food. Um, and I've figured that out over the years just by trying on different things at home. And I'll add carrots and apples in um to add a moisture content and some oil um so that it's not too dry and it's more palatable but she tends to like a nut um or a drier feed so you just have to look at each individual horse look at what they like what they don't like um and be and have things ready that you can tempt them with that you know they like some horses like apples some don't some like carrots on doesn't like carrots but he prefers apples so he tends to have apples in his feed when we go away to give him a bit more um, moisture and make it yummy and make sure he's eating properly. Quite often they don't want to drink on the truck or the plane so having carrots and apples and even sometimes a bit of apple juice into the water because sometimes when you go abroad the water can taste um, different. Um, I tend to When they go abroad, make sure I take their own bucket with them, especially if I go on a plane and I'm going somewhere like America or something. The the water can um, smell and taste a little bit different to our water. So sometimes the World Cup shows you're in the middle of the city, so it's um, city water, so it can be a little bit different. But generally, if they're in a, it sounds a bit funny, but if they're in there, if they've got their own bucket and they know the bucket, it tends to be better and if the water is really clean and crisp and cold they tend to drink it more and then once they've got the taste of it and then they take to it and then they're they're fine and they get used to it and then they just drink the water normally um and when i'm traveling especially on long journeys in the lorry or on a plane, I take with me a big dosing syringe. You can get them from the vets or you can get them from some um, stores. They're a big, like 60 mil dosing syringe with a big nozzle on. And then I can actually syringe water um, into the mouth and keep their fluids up that way. So I think that's the most important thing when they're traveling is fluids. Also with the, with the feeding, If I'm traveling long distances, I am quite old fashioned. I do like to give a a brown mash every now and again. Um, Again, it's for fluids. You can get some fluids into them. Um, And it means they get some bulk and they get a feed and they can have carrots and apples in it and they'll enjoy it. Um, But then they're not getting too much protein and carbohydrates when they're just standing still on the lorry or on the plane, so they enjoy it and then they they tend to to settle a bit better. So, yeah, I hope there's some tips in there um, for you and I hope your horses aren't too fussy because it is a bit of a nightmare.
1: Thank you for that, Alan. I just loved hearing all about the special horses in your care and getting some top tips along the way. Next week, Alan will be back with some more fantastic insight into understanding your horse's personality and how to get the best from him and keep him happy. I'll also be joined by five-star event rider Georgie Spence to talk about badminton memories and her current star, Halltown Hartley, And we'll have all the latest news for you as normal. Thank you for tuning into the Horse & Ham podcast, currently supported by NAF. See you next time. Horsenham Podcast is a media cage production.